It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour coming your way. Put put some great analysis on it. Ben Dominich has been booked. You know, he's the publisher of The Federalist, Fox News contributor, host of the Ben Dominich uh, podcast. Meanwhile, the president of the United States is going to go down to Louisiana and see about the damage from Ida. I get it. He should do that. But you know what he wants to do. He wants to change the subject. The worst foreign policy decision and execution in my lifetime, and that includes Vietnam. I was only in single digits. But people talk about Vietnam as a mistake, the Saigon moment. Don't let anyone kid you. This is worse. And we don't know a tenth of it. And there are so many people from so many different countries fighting for their life right now. And the president's going to Camp David. Excuse me. Going to Wilmington, Delaware to have a great weekend. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I just want to say we we are looking at the results of climate change. And then, of course, add to that the fact that this is all part of this. Scientists tell us climate change. You're going to hear a lot about climate change in the hours to come. And we should because this is a climate change story. Hmm. Flash floods, hurricanes could only mean one thing, global warming. And Joe Manchin is to blame. That's what the wacky left is saying about the latest hurricane, how they are using weather as the push to get the new Green Deal masked in the reconciliation package passed. Number two. Hit the pause button. Let's sit back. Let's see what happens. We've got so much on our plate. We really have an awful lot. That's, I, I think that would be the prudent, wise thing to do. No kidding. Well, Joe Manchin writes in the Wall Street Journal, with unemployment dropping and the economy growing, one sober Dem said to stop spending. Stop spending. Joe Manchin not on board with the unthinkable $4 trillion plus spending palooza that Pelosi wants to jam down our throat with a simple majority in the Senate. All it takes is one Dem defection, and it dies. Kill it, Joe. Number one. The Taliban spokesman's told an Australian news network that the 41 Australians who died in the war in Afghanistan died in vain. Uh, during this time, the Australian government found out about the withdrawal date change through media reporting. We weren't included on the list from Secretary of State Antony Blinken of countries called on the final day, August 31. Does the Taliban have a point? Yeah, they have a huge point. Stranded and afraid. This after the State Department admitted most of the SIVs the people that meant most to us during the war did not get out of Afghanistan along with an uncertain amount of American citizens. And we are not alone. Communication was so bad amongst our allies, as you just heard. Australia says they found out about the change of withdrawal date through the media. Unacceptable and not unique. Uh, some of these other countries that are complaining about us, Canada has 1,250 Canadian citizens remaining in Afghanistan. Germany, between 10 and 40,000 staffers, locals, yes, but they were going to be coming back to Germany. They intended to bring them back. They couldn't. They had to get out too quick. They could not round them up. Plus, you know, they haven't said it, but no one came from outside Kandahar. No one. Kandahar, excuse me, yeah, uh, out of Kabul, because it was too dangerous in Kabul, let alone coming from Kandahar. Mazari Sharif. Or anywhere else. These are our allies, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't Republican-Democrat issue. We haven't even dove down into it. But the fact is, they want to move on. So does CNN. So does all the networks. So does MSNBC. We should not move on. 
because we found out about the transcript from this call between Gahani and President Biden. We know that if Biden's asking these type of questions and getting the answers that he got on that phone call, he had to know the army was ready to fall because the Afghan army needed air power. All they saw was America leave in the middle of the night, them getting ground up by the Taliban who were backed up by terrorists and by Pakistan assets in every way, shape, and form. So we are seeing the fallout from that. And we're also seeing revisionist history. Now we're getting quotes from the best reporter and one of the best reporters in the country, and that is Jennifer Griffin, that a general told her this. The narrative that Americans were trying to get into Harmai Karzai Airport, a major general Donahue turned them around or denied that is not true. If anyone representing themselves at the gates, he would have let them into the airfield and processed them right up until he boarded a C-17. Donahue was supposed to close the gates around midnight. Uh, Guidance he received didn't bring anyone else in. He kept the gates open until 4.50 a.m. During that time, he got 29 American pass holders, 582 Afghans, and 36 contractors in. But the problem is so many were caught on the outside. So I was talking to Michael Waltz as well as Lara Logan about this. Their people were so afraid and told to stay away because the terror was so great they didn't make the uh, trek there. And many were on the outside holding up their passports, possibly at the wrong gate. So we are looking now at people trying to cover their butts. And the fact is you left way too soon with way too many seats open. So as Congressman Waltz write me and says, I asked him what I just read to you, I read to him. And I saw I cut and pasted to him. And he said this, I think both could be true. We had people that couldn't get a hold of any American inside and were too scared to approach the Taliban unless they knew an American was right there. It's news to me that three gates were open that late. We knew of one possibly open but couldn't confirm and We weren't willing to bet the lives of the people we were helping. A lot of confusion. But my goodness, if you're the commanding officer, you should be the one who's getting all these inquiries about the reality on the ground. Don't you think? Yes. Meanwhile, if we don't have all our SIVs in country, who are the 122,000 we got out? Daryl Isis trying to get high school kids out and teachers and families who were stuck in Afghanistan had to bug out from Kabul. They were so scared. He's having a lot of trouble, but he's getting trying to get them home. Cut six. But please understand, when these family members talk about those left behind... I don't think we need to consider whether or not their papers were processed, whether they were already a blue passport holder. The question is, did we make a promise, and did we break that promise? Oh, you, we broke that promise. I, we cannot populate America with Afghanistan, ease. But the ones that stood out, that gave up and sacrificed so much, you know who they are. they got to be screened. They got to be processed. I want them to come here. They'll probably be the best Americans, the most dedicated, the most red, white, and blue Americans, the patriotic people that we need that's always populated our country as opposed to the people sneaking in from the South uh, and with fentanyl or just trying to infiltrate. 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back and take some calls. Ben Dominic uh, will be next. I don't want to take up too much time. I want to give you a chance to sound off, but I want to give you an understanding about how we've let these people down. This is Mohammed Fazi. He's an escaped Afghanistan. He escaped Afghanistan with his family. He's in El Cajun, California. He's the one that Daryl Issa helped. So one of the many that helped Daryl Issa so much. Cut nine. It's really hard to, for us to pass the Taliban gate. 
And they told us, why you guys are leaving Afghanistan? Why you guys not staying here with us? <clears throat> I told them, that's our country, that's my nation, we're living there. So we have to get out of here. So finally, finally we came here and it, was, it wasn't easy. I was, I was four days stuck inside the base with my five kids through the sunshine, no shelter, nothing. When we come back, I'm going to tell you uh, a little bit more about what's happening in this country, how damaged Joe Biden is. He's already down to 41 percent approval, which is remarkable because everybody wanted on their left wanted Donald Trump out. But he's losing Democratic support. So his approval is at 43 percent. They're always kind to Democrats. It's probably below 40. It's a Marist poll. In August, he had 49 percent approval. The bottom is beginning to fall out. Only 32 percent approve of the way he handled leaving Afghanistan. Seventy one percent now label our war in Afghanistan a failure. I don't. And I'll explain when we come back and also bring you inside the decision Joe Manchin's making. I know many aren't happy with Joe Manchin. I'm thrilled with him. Uh, there would be uh, there will be hell in this country. There will be a packing of the court in this country. The filibuster would be gone in this country. Democrat Republicans would be totally dealt out if it wasn't for him and to a degree, Senator Cinema. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here leading to this Labor Day. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I just want to say we, we are looking at the results of climate change. And then, of course, add to that the fact that this is all part of this. Scientists tell us climate change. You're going to hear a lot about climate change in the hours to come. And we should, because this is a climate change story. Unbelievable. How could they do And then you had Senator Schumer come out and make a statement after New York was devastated. Not like Louisiana, believe me. I don't want to make the focus about the Northeast because it was so much better or worse in the South as you get your power on. I, I just don't. I always feel for people around the country who think that because we're located in New York or Major media outlets are located in New York. We think that everything, if it doesn't happen or does happen here, that's what everyone cares about. I know it mostly uh, hurt the South, but it really was a flooding situation here. So now they're saying because we have these flash floods and our politicians aren't able to prepare for it, and there's always challenges with this thing called weather. It's it's uh, not predictable by definition. Now, all of a sudden, time for the new Green Deal. We have to pass that infrastructure package. The flooding wouldn't have happened to the subway if we finally had passed that infrastructure package. Please, don't fall for that. Understand, there's some science, there's things we could do to be responsible. I'm all for that. Be smart about it. I get it. But just look at, and if you have some time today, read even the New York Times account of Senator John Kerry. This guy goes over as the climate czar, as if he has some power and some interest with China, who is the number one polluter in the world. They're burning coal. They're buying our coal. They're mining their own coal. That's how they're fueling everything. And we're going to have to bribe them in order to do the things that we are requiring ourselves to do and punish ourselves for. And if we want to go convert to solar panels, get off of oil and gas, we want to build windmills, guess who builds them? China. Guess who's in oil and gas? America. Guess who burns natural oil and gas? America. We're the top. We're the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. Hence fracking. 
Why do we have to give up every asset we have because of someone's fictional crisis? Tony, listening on the app in Orlando. Hey, Tony. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Hey, I'm really concerned about these reports uh, as of late as far as uh, the, uh, our military and our politicians thinking that the Taliban can be trusted and be uh, uh, seen as, a, as an ally. Uh, there's these reports talking about that we're going to start targeting uh, uh, people uh, based on Taliban intelligence. Uh, the way that looks like, we're aiding and betting the terrorists to target their own enemies. If anything, we should be helping out the Northern Alliance folks that are surrounded right now in the Panjshir Valley, and we're not even doing that. Yeah, I want so you I to hear what Michael Waltz said about that. Uh, Michael Waltz addressed that last night, cut three. Well, the Panjshir Valley and the brave fighters that are, that are there fighting right now uh, as we speak a Taliban offensive were never conquered by the Soviet army, were never conquered by the Taliban at their height in the 90s, uh, and we have to support them in not being conquered now. They are standing for freedom. They are standing against extremism. Uh, they know, uh, as Biden's own intelligence community has briefed us in Congress, that the Taliban equals al-Qaeda and that terrorism right. that happens in Afghanistan doesn't stay in Afghanistan. It will spread. But Biden is going down the road of recognizing a Taliban al-Qaeda Islamic emirate. Uh, and if we in Congress are going to stop it, yeah, it's unbelievable. Congressman Walls Green Beret. So there is a legitimate worry on that. Final thought, Tony? Um, no, I think this is going to come back really bad. I think they're going down a rabbit hole of extremely bad decisions, and they're going to continue, even though we supposedly pulled out. Now they're going to try to say that we're going to target people based on Taliban intelligence when we took out all of our intelligence from I Afghanistan. Know. That's insane. I did not hear that directly. What they said is uh, ISIS-K. Would we ever combine with the Taliban to help that? He said, maybe. We'll see. That's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a failure in every sense of the word. Chris, listen on WSBA in Pennsylvania. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brian. Uh, I just want to say thank you for your commitment to uh, just staying, you know, focused on this Afghan thing. They definitely want to uh, bury it. You know, this is my third time calling in two weeks. It's hard to stay out of the conversation on this. Do, do you notice um, for the first time maybe since 9-11 people are talking about Afghanistan again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it faded into the background. And, and even for me, you know, I didn't deploy there till 1920 and I forgot, you know, what it was like over there or, you know, he stopped hearing about it till I went. Um, you know, and, and what and honestly, was it like it was, for it was you? A great, well, I, I never left the wire too much. I was a helicopter mechanic. But the people who were there, the, these SIV holders we talked about, what you said earlier, man, with. If we could get the right people in here from there who are vetted, they're going to be the most patriotic Americans. Those people did my laundry. They made my food. They cleaned up our common areas in the barracks. They, they served us. We had a barber who used to say American, American Army was his brothers. And, uh, you know, they, they are going to be patriots if we get the right people here from Afghanistan. And you realize for the first time they had a chance at freedom and liberty, not to the degree we wanted. We weren't setting up democracy after the first year and a half. We realized that wasn't going to happen. But we gave you they did this thing called let women read and write and have jobs and drive. We gave an opportunity for other men to go to universities and for families to raise their kids without being uh, uh, subjected to Sharia law. And 20 years later, we had such dedicated people who were so determined to be free, they were sacrificing their lives in order to get a chance to get out because of this oppressive regime was coming back. We gave them a glimpse of what life could be. 
instead of hearing about America, they got a chance to meet Americans like you. And I think we've changed that region forever. And if anyone doubts that these guys are not sincere about their fundamentalist Islamic beliefs, they are making deals with China. China has over a million Muslims in a concentration camp. They're using them as organ harvesters. If they decide one of the uh, one of their officials needs a kidney, they take it from them. They make their materials. They make their Nike shoes or whatever company that they're subjected to. They are forced labor. And if these fundamentalists stood for anything, they would not do one bit of trade with China. Instead, they're courting them. Jim, let's see on WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Jim. Hello. Jim, what's on your mind? Well, I don't know where to begin. I'm a gold star dad. My son was in four deployments, two in Iraq, two in Afghanistan. I think this whole uh, scenario played out by the president was terribly wrong and terribly uh, directed. Um, what has it done for you in the memory of your son? Has it brought up all as if he passed away yesterday? Oh, hell yes. Um, I think most of us Gold Star families share in the loss with the other Gold Star families. It... Um, brings back that day in March 2013. Doesn't mean that my loss is any greater or less than, but uh, my son uh, was doing what he wanted to do. He was making a difference. And that's what uh, all those young men and women were doing. And they, and they a made difference. a difference, uh, Jim. The leaders let you down. The commanding, uh, the, the the Washington commanders let you down. But the men and women in the field did not. They fought with great value and distinction. And there's there's no finer fighting force in the world, and maybe ever. Uh, everyone uh, like your son chose to fight, uh, fight, and we're better a country because of it. Do not let this administration's decisions sully his memory. Because uh, you should every every reason to be proud. Thanks so much. Keep it here. Ben Dominich, we come back. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. People are still there, and I, I hope uh, we try our best with the congressman and our team to get to help this family to get out. We are not talking about just only one family. It, it's not about my family. It's about thousand people who are invisible, who need our help to get them out from Afghanistan. And, you know, you talk to Laura Logan and other people like Michael Waltz and Daryl Issa, everybody's trying to get people out, really except the government. 
The State Department admitted yesterday, and I'm sure it's agonizing for people with consciences, that they did not get out most of the SIVs. So who are the 122,000 we got out? Ben Dominic, Fox News contributor, publisher of The Federalist. Ben, I cannot uh, hide how befuddled I am and let down I am about the series of events and what it does for America. Forget Joe Biden. He's damaged forever, even before he got the job. But what about America from here, knowing there's still people that we left behind? You know, uh, Brian, and and thanks for having me on. I uh, am really – I cannot express to you how infuriated I am by what we've seen here today. And I want to step back for a moment and say that the problem with this, uh, and this is similar, I would say this is, you know, it's worse, but it's it's basically Joe Biden's Katrina moment. Uh, And by that, I mean the problem with something like Katrina uh, when it happened was that it wasn't about ideology. It was about the basic capacity of our government to work, to do its job, to do what it's supposed to do on a very basic level. And we as Americans have this faith in our government entities. We have this – we're supposed to have trust in our institutions to be able to do the jobs that we ask them to do. And so set aside the ideology. You know, this is not an ideological debate. The decision has been made under uh, Donald Trump. Uh, the decision uh, has been adjusted somewhat under Joe Biden. But the point is that, you know, after a series of elections in which the the anti-war or the war-ending candidate won, you know, we were headed towards something like this. Okay. Well, then that question becomes, do we have the capacity to do our jobs and to do it in a way that will prevent the loss of American life and the deaths of those who worked so hard and fought so hard alongside us for so many years? And what we've proven is that that is not something that we have the capacity to do. And the question now is, why is that? Uh, who Who's the person in this chain of command who didn't do their job? Who's the person who put Americans in harm's way when it came to that airport? Who are the people who decided that we shouldn't keep Bagram until we got everybody out? Who's the person who decided it was okay to not just leave helicopters, but to leave tens of thousands of the highest level night vision that you could possibly have given yep. to the Taliban uh, in you know, giving away not just the air, but the night, the two things that America's military had dominated for years. We need a reckoning along the chain of command that actually addresses these questions for the benefit of the American people, for the benefit of those who lost their lives and for the families who are so frustrated with Joe Biden in this moment. We deserve that because otherwise we are going to have a situation where this just becomes another example of media spin, where a year from now what they want to be able to say is, oh, well, you know, it was bad and some people died and it could have gone better. But you know what? We got out and that's all that really matters. No, that's not all that matters because there's an enormous amount of trust invested in the America America that I know and love that now is going to be uh, completely absent when it comes to our allies. If I am China, I am going to every ally that America has them saying, oh, you think they're your friends? You think they'll be there for you when you need them? What did you just see happen in Afghanistan? You just saw a nation that couldn't handle the most basic approaches to this. Like, we're not even talking the heavy lifts. We're talking the most basic approaches to this. And why is that? Because they have a bunch of think tank people at the State Department who don't know how to process SIVs in time. They don't know how many freaking green card people we even have in Afghanistan. I mean, that's absurd. You don't even have a number assigned to it. Hey, it's ben, a you level know of incompetence. Absurd? 
They blame it's, it's, them. It's a level of incompetence I cannot even fathom. They blame them. Uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, I asked you, to, you know, when you go to Afghanistan, you should have signed in the embassy. I can't make you do that. Uh, and, you know, I told you 19 times the president said in his ridiculous speech that he shouted at us. Uh, 19 uh-huh. times we gave you missives to leave Afghanistan. Uh, and we provided a ride. I can't help it that you, some of you chose to stay. And that's the message. Like, uh, you know, a lot of people chose to stay. Nobody came from outside Kabul and got out. There were people all over that Brian, country. You, you are you are very familiar, I'm sure, with, uh, you know, well, you know, what were you doing in that part of town wearing that short of a skirt? This is the most, this is the most ridiculous, similar argument I've ever heard in my life. The idea that Americans, you know, oh, it's on you. Because you stayed and you had you were so foolish that you believed what I was saying publicly. You believed that I was saying what me when I said that the that we would the Afghan government was strong enough that it would be you know a year or more before it ever fell. In fact, um, that you know we were going to continue to support we meaning America continue to support their efforts. That the Taliban was not on the cusp of taking control. All those different things that Joe Biden said. Well, you're the idiot for actually believing me when I said it. You know, it's it's. Absolutely abhorrent. And the other thing is, you know, Brian, uh, Peggy Noonan has a column in the Wall Street Journal today where she says what I believe as well, which is that this will stick so much to Joe Biden in part because it cuts against uh, the core appeal that he made to so many people uh, in 2020, which was that he was, of course, going to be not just the adult in the room, but that he was this bearer of, of empathy and sympathy. And to hear from these families who, you know, regardless of what they think about, again, this isn't even ideological, what they think about war, they did not want their children to be in harm's way, and they do not believe that they were well served by this administration. And yet, the attitude of the White House is, "Hey, great job, everybody! This was exceptional. We did a we did a heck of a job. We we did something incredible and historic, and we ought to be winning awards for it." And it's so absurd on its face, and they are counting on their allies in the compromise propaganda media to spin their agenda for them. And there's no doubt about it, Ben, because if you look at the coverage of the note of the transcript that Reuters broke that talked about Gahani talking to Biden maybe for the last time and Gahani in saying, I just need some air cover front loaded and they're they are getting reinforced through Pakistan. Uh, I'm going to need that right away. And it got ignored. Instead, you have Joe Biden saying we need to change the perception and the narrative, whether it's true or not. Oh, excuse whether me. Whether it's true or that not. That is a major Focus. story. Focus in on that phrase. Just just think about what we're hearing here. The, the, he, the president was more concerned about optics, for one, and then he's promising that there'll that they'll be military support uh, if uh, Ghani uh, empowers the uh, defense minister in Afghanistan to do the kind of thing that, uh, that the intel folks and the defense folks in America want him to do. And, and that's exactly the kind of quid pro quo uh, that I think you know, we heard a lot of people uh, get spun up about in the last administration. But let's, let's point out one other aspect of this. This conversation is not one that gives anyone, I think, confidence that Joe Biden is being honest with us now, because even even back then, it's clear that he is naive about what's going on in the country. And look, there are a lot of different factors. There are a lot of different people who are pointing fingers at each other in Washington right now. The intel community is trying to do their best to say that they didn't fail, that they, you know, oh, you know, we always thought that something like this could happen. Well, that wasn't necessarily what you were saying. You know, the military folks are saying, well, you know, we 
we gave advice along the way that said that something like this, you know, could happen. And that's not entirely true either, because General Milley, of course, as we know, was saying, well, Bagram isn't part of our plans. Now everybody's going, well, that probably should have, that was probably a mistake. Uh, and then and then when he, it comes to the White House, they want to just deflect everything onto the past administration and to everybody else. Look, it, Tony Blinken, General Milley in particular, they need to be called to account. Congress needs to call them to account, and they need to justify right. things. But there's also other people within the leadership of both state and defense that I think we have to look to in this moment and say, look, what, who made what decision? Who was the guy who did his job and who didn't? Yeah, I just would think, I know your father-in-law would be leading the charge on that, uh, John McCain. Oh, he'd be, he'd, he'd be he'd, he'd, He probably mind. wouldn't have let Joe Biden get away with it because they were such good friends. He'd be, he'd be in the Oval <laughs> Office. He wouldn't leave. Well, you know, it's one of these things where and it's not just it's not just about him. It's about so many people, I think, who have uh, looked at our military and who have tried to make it, uh, you know, serve our purposes over the past uh, two decades in in these wars have tried uh, to cut through a lot of the political BS. Uh, about the the necessary things that need to be done in order to win and in order to protect America's interests. And I think that, unfortunately, in this situation, uh, Joe Biden proved to be exactly the kind of guy that we've seen in the past, which he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. You rewind to that image of him yelling at a voter back in 1988, where he's talking about how he's willing to put compare his IQ to, to him anytime. And he cites all of these things that I was top of my class and won this award and won that award. Of course, he had to drop out when Newsweek discovered that everything that he said in that comment was a lie. And, and this is the problem. We still have a guy uh, at this day and age who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and thinks that what he did here was right. And the question that I really have is, does he think he's lying to us when he comes out and gives that yelling speech? Because it's almost worse if he thinks he's telling the truth. I know. If he thinks that I could sell myself either the way. way that he framed it. What does that say about the president and how out of touch with reality he is? And he was in. But the thing is, he was on that conversation. Change, change perception. Change perception. Change the narrative. That to me shows that he was going to. He's trying to spin us. That he knew the yes. difference. So Michael Waltz told me this. He had dinner with Gahani and, and General Keene uh, be, when he was in Washington, and it would be the day before they met with Biden. He said, we need American air power. Even if it's just briefly, we need it. We need, the, we need to let American contractors stay to maintain the Afghan aircraft because we do not know how to maintain it. He got neither. So then he gets yeah. yelled at. That he asked for it again when he goes back to his country. Now, I'm not a fan of his. I know how corrupt he is, and he left with a lot of our money. But what he's asking for is just give me something. Don't be surprised when it all falls apart and it ends yeah. up doing that. So listen to what General Milley said. And I want us to – I know you at the Federalist and now you're Fox News contributor. you got the Ben Dominich podcast. You'll be all over this. I think we're, be, we're preparing America to recognize the Taliban. And I think we're going to prepare America to start releasing funds from the IMF and push on that. And you do these things. And listen to why I believe that. Listen to General Milley's, the question to General Milley and his answer. As far as our dealings with them at that airfield or in the past year or so, in war, you do what you must in order to reduce risk to mission and force, not what you necessarily want to do. Any possibility of coordination against ISIS-K with them? It's possible. Really? We're going to start combining forces with the Taliban? Yeah, there's no way that's going to go sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, this is absolute, it's absolute madness. 
And and the thing here's the thing too, Brian. You know, there was a space to be made here for Joe Biden to to find a different path forward. Um, and there are multiple different paths. He he framed it as being a binary. You know, either either we we pull out now or, or we invest more troops, et cetera. And that's a false choice. That's not actually what was presented to him or what even the option was. I mean, one thing that is is clear is that I think he could have pulled back from the Afghanistan civil war and said. Look, uh, we're not going to participate in this anymore. You know, things are going to go the way they're going to go. Uh, but we have a base there that we've invested an enormous amount of, of resources in that is strategically of interest to us. We're going to keep that base uh, and we're going to protect it. And if you right. get close to it, uh, we're going to blow you up. And that's, and that's something that I think that he actually could have done and had a lot of people support him in that. Uh, but I think that in, in terms of what his approach was, he really does think that he's the smartest one in the room. And I think that that's he's the problem dumbest. with Millie, too, though. Though it's interesting, of course, that he's even taking time right. out of his busy day, you know, uh, injecting wokeness into the American military so, uh, in order to pay any attention. I'm a little over, but I want you to hear what Joe Lieberman told me yesterday. He knows he knows Joe Biden as well as John McCain knew Joe Biden. Let's listen. I cannot believe that the Joe Biden I know really thinks this went as it should, this evacuation from Afghanistan. But his reaction, and this happens with leaders sometimes, is totally defensive and defiant. And that that really is not good for our country. Honestly, he should, most of all, be initiating a, a very intensive review. Maybe he doesn't want to question his own judgment about withdrawing, but wow, once you make that decision, the evacuation could not have been uh, handled in a worse way. He, he can't believe, and he went on to say that it's not the same guy. You know, I, I agree with Joe, and uh, I think that you know, it's really a situation where he has chosen to deflect. The people around him have chosen to deflect as opposed to look inward, as opposed to question anything. And I think that that is going to backfire on them and is going to prove to be something where Americans are going to raise more and more questions as this goes forward. We receive more information about what's going on in Afghanistan, about what went on, about the debacle that happened, uh, and, you know, frankly, about what's ended, what we've ended up with after 20 years of this. It's an absolute travesty. Uh, and unfortunately, I think, you know, uh, we're, we're stuck with this guy for the time being, uh, but I don't think he seems to have any of the, the willingness uh, to question or to review the mistakes that were made. All right, Ben, I think this was, uh, it was educational for our audience and therapeutic for you. Uh, ben, I look forward <laughs> to your next column, our next podcast. Ben, thanks so much. Great to be with you as always. Brian. Got it. Uh, the Ben Dominic Podcast, back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hit the pause button. Let's sit back. Let's see what happens. We've got so much on our plate. We really have an awful lot. That's, I, I think that would be the prudent, wise thing to do. And that is Joe Manchin saving the country. Kirsten Cinema said something similar. And you know that Nancy Pelosi just jammed that through. A simple party line vote, not one defection, $3.5 trillion. That's on top of the $1.2 trillion that she said she'll entertain at a later date that I think will probably uh, get through in September in the House that passed in a bipartisan way in the Senate. And Joe Manchin standing up is significant. Here's why. Because you can't do anything with, with after if you lose one Democrat. 
Cinema evidently is not on board. He is not on board. And for him to put that in the Wall Street Journal, not just make an offhanded remark to some CNN dogged reporter in the aisle who looks at him as the problem. AOC looks at him as the problem. They look at him as the villain. But people like Senator Schumer understand we cannot alienate Joe Manchin. Why? Because there's only a moderate Democrat would win in West Virginia. And if you wanted to go on with life without Joe Manchin, you would not be successful because you need him. So what people like AOC don't understand and others like Congressman Bauman over in New York, they think the flooding happens. and They say, now Joe Manchin doesn't want to vote for infrastructure and look at the flooding and look at the subways. You should not be spending on Joe Manchin to give you a trillion dollars because you have a mayor and a governor who don't know how to spend uh, their tax dollars. I think it's pretty, uh, pretty significant, too. Uh, that he's standing up and speaking out because I know we're not speaking of infrastructure now. I'm going to I'm going to continue to move forward on Afghanistan and, and as well as this coronavirus, the variant that's now dipping that no one's paying attention to, the mass mandates that are being jammed down our throats and are caught up in the court. I'm going to also keep my eye on this because one day we're going to wake up and it's going to be voted on. And Joe Manchin is already affecting the outcome. He's not happy with the tax increases, not happy with a lot of this green stuff. But maybe he'll go in for a compromise. I hope he just walks away. Walks away. So Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. Find out where I'll be. I got a President and Freedom Fighter tour coming up. Hope to be in your town. Whether it's Ponte Vedra. Whether it's Clearwater. Whether it's West Virginia. Brian Kilmeade Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world as we get set to close out the summer into Labor Day. This news has not slowed down. You know that. And uh, our ratings reflect you're listening to us, and we appreciate it for it. Geraldo Rivera is queuing up, and Will Kane at the bottom of the hour. He's getting getting set to host Fox & Friends Weekend. It's kind of good, too, because with Will, we could actually have an in-studio guest. Still can't have those guests from the outside because of the uh, perhaps the Delta surge of the pandemic in general. No one wants to talk about it, but the Delta surge is petering out, just like it did in the U.K., just like it did in Israel. We just like bad news. Anthony Fauci's already got his eye on another variant to keep himself on television. Pathetic. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I just want to say we we are looking at the results of climate change. And then, of course, add to that the fact that this is all part of this. Scientists tell us climate change. You're going to hear a lot about climate change in the hours to come. And we should because this is a climate change story. Here we go again. Flash floods and hurricanes could only mean one thing. We're ruining the world. Tell China. Joe Manchin is to blame, according to AOC. That's the wacky left, and that's what they're saying about a hurricane. Instead of helping people, they're blaming people and blaming us. Number two. Hit the pause button. Let's sit back. Let's see what happens. We've got so much on our plate. We really have an awful lot. That's. I, I think that would be the prudent, wise thing to do. Uh, Joe Manchin, you are right. Say it so, Joe. With unemployment dropping and the economy growing, one sober Democrat said stop spending with inflation rising. Joe Manchin is not on board with the unthinkable $4 trillion plus spending palooza of Pelosi. All it takes is one damn defection. Kill it, Joe. Number one. The Taliban spokesman told an Australian news network that the 41 Australians who died in the war in Afghanistan died in vain. 
during this time, the Australian government found out about the withdrawal date change through media reporting. We weren't included on the list from Secretary of State Antony Blinken of countries called on the final day, August 31. Does the Taliban have a point? Stranded and afraid. This after the State Department admitted most of the SIVs didn't get out of Afghanistan along with an uncertain amount of American citizens. We are not alone. Communications were so bad amongst our allies that you just heard. Australia says they found out about change in withdrawal date through the media. Unacceptable. So just to give you an idea, Canada says they have 1,250 Canadian citizens and allies remaining in Afghanistan. Germany, between 10 and 40,000 left there. These are our supposed allies you just heard about how upset Australia is. Geraldo Rivera has been on the ground quite often in Afghanistan, and sadly, he knows how dangerous it can be. Geraldo, is this, hey, embar- is this embarrassing for America? It was a, a catastrophic, chaotic, disorganized, improvised uh, uh, evacuation. It, it is historic in terms of the size. Once they got going, uh, they were doing okay. But as you suggest, Ryan, it's a very, very difficult situation. And a lot of our friends got left behind. I mean, my closest friends, thank God, uh, my translator, Akbar Shinwari, who was with me for my 11 assignments there, you know, uh, at least six months of my life spent there in the last 20 years. Uh, we got him and his family out. But a lot, there are a lot left behind. And I, that is something that will rub raw on our conscience uh, for years to come, the, the, those that we left behind. Uh, you know, and I also... I also think something else is happening, and I, I don't like it. Uh, you know, uh, I hear Senator Tom Cotton and others uh, complaining bitterly about the lack of vetting of the people that were evacuated. Yep. I think you've got to, uh, of course, you want to look at everyone uh, with uh, with probing eyes, uh, but I don't want there to be an anti-Afghan refugee movement started with all this reckless rhetoric. Well, they can uh, fix it. They could fix that. They could say, I want to go. I want to. I know the American people are concerned because Al Qaeda's masters are mixing in with their population. And we already had two arrive in the UK on their no fly and the world no fly list. And we also had a wanted person from Al Qaeda arrive in France. So, hey, American people, I want to tell you the process we're going through to make sure we're not bringing the 20th hijacker back to America 20 years later. They owe that to us. We should not assume they have anything. They have any competence on anything after what we just witnessed. Don't you agree? Well, I think that that's a little harsh. I, I, I think that Biden, first of all, and I had this argument with Erica, my wife, this morning. Biden did something that no one else did. Trump wanted to and started the process. But Biden did get us out. However mismanaged it was. But to me, to me, the only thing that, not the only thing, the thing that distresses me more than anything, uh, because I think eventually the people who want out will get out. What really distresses me is it seems as if President Biden was distracted by his busy schedule or something when they came to the dignified transfer of the 13 GIs who perished arguably because of the the chaotic withdrawal. Uh, he seemed to be checking his watch. He, 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 his speech that he made, uh, you know, he was extolling the virtue as he should of his son, Bo, who died of cancer after an assignment in Iraq. But 
uh, the families, the Gold Star families, complained, some of them, bitterly that he seemed unfocused and and not appropriately engaged. And I I think that those kinds of things will contribute to this understandable drop in his popularity. Now he's, uh, you know, he's in the 43 percent. He's down. He was enjoying a very, uh, you know, a smooth honeymoon period with the American people. But I think that it's fair to say that that honeymoon is gone. And I think that uh, the implications for the midterm elections are profound, Brian. So, uh, so Raldo, none of the networks covered that transcript of that phone call with Gahani. None. No one said, you know, we want to put together why the Taliban, oh, excuse me, why the Afghan forces fell apart. How much notice did we have? What were the reasons that they didn't fight? Why did they not at least get 12,000 to protect Kabul with their so-called elite fighters? And yet this transcript comes out and all Joe Biden talks about is perception and changing the narrative, essentially, even if it's not true. Now, you might say, oh, I don't care, but it's a news story. You know news, Geraldo. That's news. Zero I mean, it coverage. Is, it is definitely news. That the, the reason it's it's so newsworthy is that it was a very similar conversation with the Ukrainian president that resulted in a, an impeachment of Donald Trump. They impeached him for a conversation that was equally as, uh, how should I put it, undisciplined as uh, what Biden had uh, with, uh, with Ghani. Uh, I think that you can't lose sight, however— uh, you know, he may have been just asking the Afghan president to spin it in a way that his forces would not lose confidence in in the state and would not, uh, you know, hesitate to fight. But instead, as we saw, we had the most cataclysmic, cowardly disintegration of a military force ever. Uh, the Afghan army and all those hundreds of billions of dollars we poured into that fighting force decided not to fight at all. And it, it kind of it, it made a lie out of the whole uh, pretense that we had made Afghanistan a country. We didn't make it a country. It was just people on the American dole, people doing what America said. There wasn't Afghans. I don't want to attribute motives to everybody, but it just seemed that they all, for all of them to chicken out at the same time, indicates that there was no confidence that the government was a fiction more than anything else. Did, did you did you uh, hear about how this all went down, how they were planning to defend Kabul, and then word went out to back off, don't come, and not come, and Ghani left? When he left, unlike your buddy, and I know he's your friend, Abdullah Abdullah, that guy didn't leave. He's negotiating with the Taliban for a role in the government to try to get some semblance of order. I imagine you know him better. And the other vice president goes with Massoud to form an insurgency. Gahani reportedly takes our money and goes to another country. So when, 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 uh, when this call is made public and Biden was asked, if you can just give me air cover, front-loaded air cover, and allow the contractors to stay with protection, we will be okay. Biden says no. Well, I, I don't know what motivated the president to make that decision. I don't know that that is a fact, uh, that reporting, with all due respect. Well, Michael I mean, Waltz uh, was there. Michael Waltz had dinner with Gahani the night before, 
and uh, so did General Keene. And I think we both respect both those men. We do. But I, I also want to know uh, how they feel about the reports that the Afghan president left the country with uh, two car loads full of American cash, uh, cash that the whatever the government is now desperately that, needs. That, to that's pay. a part of the story, Civil but it term. doesn't mean, you know, he and in the transcript, it says he's asked for air cover. How hard would it have been? to send some drones over there to back them off because you have a legitimate reason to do it. You're violating the agreement. The agreement said you will uh, – they didn't even want to go to Kabul, as you know. They weren't ready to go to Kabul, as you know. They said, do you want to secure the airport or do you want us to? And uh, McKernan or McKenzie said, uh, we just want the airport. You know what the problem is, Brian? It's, it's what I call the Rambo complex. Now everyone says, if only we had fought the war this way. If only we had had the guts to stick this and that. And Let's just say, yeah, any, what, what, if only that. we did the exact opposite of what Joe Biden did. Can we agree with that? I, I, I have already stated that the reason his popularity has plunged is because he blew it. It was a, 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 a catastrophic failure. It was, a, it was, a, it was chaos. Uh, but he, it, it is over. It is, the, the war is over. We're out of Afghanistan. If China thinks that they have— well, we're not a, out. We have know, people with, there. Uh, well, we'll I, I believe we'll get everybody out that wants to get out eventually. That country, they can't stop people from walking out. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, they could shoot them. They, 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 there's not enough bullets. They, uh, I, I think that, we, you know, the problem is we're we not used to losing. Uh, we, we haven't we won We chose everything. to we lose. Haven't, uh, we— you know, after 20 years, I think the the defeat is bitter. Uh, we spent two trillion dollars, 300 million a day, and all the rest of it. And what did we get as a result? Remember we Jim got, Marshall of the Vikings? Uh, hard, hard. Remember Jim Marshall of the Vikings? He ran the wrong way. He chose. He he gave <laughs> the team. I mean, our guys, the men that you know, uh, the lieutenant colonels of the world who are on the ground. Divide strategies to do all the fight type of fighting. They said Americans didn't want to do the urban fighting, uh, the raids. Uh, we were able to find out things about these terrorist organizations they didn't think was possible. And that's why I thought it was so foolhardy, not so much to end the war, to pick up the roots, to pick us up by the roots and lose all those bases and, the, and that periscope on all our enemies. That was the biggest I, mistake. I, uh, I think that Afghanistan is absolute zero. It adds nothing to America's defensive posture. Where's the Haqqani Network? I believe that, I, I believe that the Haqqani Network is going to be dealing drugs, and, you know, that's what they do. They'll go back to their opium dealing. The, China will adopt Afghanistan now and rule the day. They will spend money they don't want to spend. They'll let radical Muslims into their heavily Muslim-populated uh, uh, west uh, western part of China. There, uh, it will it will, if anything, destabilize China as it drains China's economy. It is a big black hole. I, I promised myself when I left after the 11th assignment in 2012, when I left with General John F. Campbell, who was a colonel when the war started, and when 2012 he was a four-star general in charge of everything. We knew. There was no way to win. Knew it. There was no way to win. It was. It was not. 
It was not anything with, with right. like a win. I agree. Was, uh, killing every member, but I agree. But we, we gave up. So but we gave we up that so vision in 2005. But the, the, the 2014 posture would have worked long term if Trump wasn't so dead set on ending all the endless war talk. Uh, as counterproductive to the war on terror, which I believe still exists. Or although we mildly disagree here. Um, I mildly disagree, but I love you, bro. Yeah, back at you. Geraldo Rivera does it all, sees it all firsthand, and reports it here. Geraldo Rivera, thanks. Uh, when we come back, your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Will Kane at the bottom of the hour. Brian Kilmeade show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hit the pause button. Let's sit back. Let's see what happens. We've got so much on our plate. We really have an awful lot. That's, I, I think that would be the prudent, wise thing to do. They don't want to do that because Nancy Pelosi knows that uh, her, this is a legacy thing for her. She knows she's going to be out of a job shortly, and she knows she wants that done. She wants Obamacare extended and expanded, pushing back on Medicare because you can't have both, evidently. These, uh, uh, these spendthrifts know they have one chance with both houses in order to pass this, and they're going to look to jam it down our throats. It got through the House, but Joe Manchin's going to stop it in the Senate. Is it a negotiation tactic? Perhaps. They want to bump up to 28% the corporate rate uh, from 21. Go, uh, it looks like Manchin says, I'll go up to 25. That's about it. That's uh, roughly still above China. And then when you have when you have other taxes and other green energy and the fact that he's from a, from a coal state, how could he sign on to all this green stuff? More from Manchin, cut 20. And now there, there's a lot of movements to this chess game right now of which one goes or which one doesn't go or do both go or they back, link back together. Well, there's no way I believe they should be linked together because they're completely too different. Next of all, uh, no one's speaking about the debt of our nation right now. We're, we're, we're pushing right on 29 trillion, 29 trillion. Richard, you understand these numbers very well. But $29 trillion is a lot of money. Someone's got to pay. Right. Uh, and soon we're going to be paying our, all, re- all the revenue will be going toward the interest payments on the debt that we've accumulated. Jobless claims dropped again, uh, down 14000 That was yesterday. Today, the jobs added weren't as much as they thought. They will use that number, I think it was just over 240000 to say, look, the economy's sputtering. No, what happened is the Delta variant came in. Remember that uh, the pandemic you said you beat so we could all have cookouts in July? Well, now we got a variant that came in. You start berating people about your uh, vaccine full time. And the push and pull of the whole thing hurt the economy's growth, but it put it on pause. The whole thing's on pause. We're about to explode. We're doing better than almost every other country. You're going to tell me China, with all the problems they're having in their ports, is in the middle of experiencing this Delta variant that slayed them, is slaying them like it slayed India? We're about to bounce back. Anthony Fauci would have been about to bounce back. The economy does not eat any more, need any more stimulus. We have so much on our plate. They finally got a bipartisan deal at $1.2 trillion. I'd love to debate that, whether it makes sense or not. That, to me, is something that's worthy of discussion. The $3.5 trillion is pure policy and agenda, none of which benefits our country but changes our country. We can't have cradle-to-grave 
financing. It doesn't work in our economy. There are countries that do that. Just ask. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fight that we're we're, uh, a part of at the moment is a global struggle against transnational terrorism. Right now in the front lines, there's Arabs, there's Pakistanis, there's Central Asians fighting on behalf of the Taliban against the National Resistance Front. So we have Al-Qaeda right now and many other terrorist groups in the front line fighting against the National Resistance Front. We feel abandoned because we're right now fighting a war against terror However, we have no allies. We're the last remaining U.S. allies inside Afghanistan. We're not being supported. Well, here we go again. That's Massoud's group along with the vice president. And uh, that is an Afghan National Resistance Front out in the north where the Northern Alliance was. His name is uh, Ali Navari. The question is, do we go back to what he did in the 80s? You know, financing an insurgent group to offset, which was once the Russians, and then uh, outgo the Taliban, income the Northern Alliance, and then 20 years later, in come the Taliban. Should we finance the other guys now? I'm going to put that to somebody who loves these deep thoughts, Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. He's, I've only given him like 20 seconds to get ready for this topic. He usually needs two or three days. Uh, <laughs> Will, I know before you talk about the weekend and wearing a tie when you dress up and stuff, with the radio, Will Kane, what do you think about that? Should we start financing the resistance I don't know what the move is going forward, Brian. Can we take a moment and just revisit the move yeah. in retrospect? And it's this. And I do think that perhaps my opinion would be representative of the American public to some degree. And I like sharing this with you because your opinion is one that I do believe has been consistent and one I might have moved towards. So here's where I am. We should have left Afghanistan. That's a position that I've held for quite some time. I don't want to be involved in forever wars. I certainly don't want to be involved in nation building. I don't want to delude myself into thinking that we can transform a backward society into a Jeffersonian democracy. I don't want to participate in any of that, and I certainly don't want to sacrifice, forget American treasure, I don't want to sacrifice American blood to that kind of ineptitude and dead-end prospect. But we went in to ensure that we could kill terrorists who might want to come to our shores and do damage. In the past 18 months, as you pointed out numerous times, I'm sure, on this program and on Fox and Friends, we've lost zero American servicemen lives. 18 months, zero loss of life. So we were not involved in a forever war when it came to sacrificing blood. We have military bases across this world, Japan, Germany, Korea, wherever it may be, much more than the 2,500 troops that were dedicated to Afghanistan. Could we have pursued a policy of keeping, say, Bagram? Could we have pursued a policy of keeping a force that played whack-a-mole whenever something bad popped up in that part of the world? And I think that my position has evolved, Brian, away from this false black and white choice. We're there or we're not. We're in a forever war or we're not. That was a false choice. I do believe you who have been saying that are right. I do believe that Dan Crenshaw, who's been making that same point, is right. I'm not a neocon. I'm not even a war hawk. I'm an America first. And I don't say that gratuitously or pandering. I say that as an ideology that I truly think reflects where we need to be. I'm going to serve American interest first person, and it's our interest. It's in our interest to be able to whack down terrorists when they crop up. That's where I've gotten, Brian, looking backwards. Looking forwards, 
I do not know. You can't be in business with the Taliban because they're inherently untrustworthy. Can we fund the Northern Alliance? They we're not just back where we started from. We're back to before where we started from. I don't yeah. know where we go moving forward, Brian. Right. I mean, it would take very little investment. They want some vaccines and some MREs and a few guns. We left so much in country. It is embarrassing and detrimental. I was going to – the one thing that – the reason why you've evolved to this is because you got a lot of issues going on, and there's not one political leader who ever – verbalized, this is what we're going to do. Um, now, this is not a forever war. In 2014, Barack Obama changed the posture, made a big announcement, and we had, on average, losing 17 a year. 17 too many, I get it, but we lose more in training accidents. I don't want to diminish the 17 lives, but oh, our posture was backing up in training. We were their colonels and captains and lieutenants. When they left and we left and the air cover left with that, they said, wait a second, what am I fighting for again? How scary are those guys ahead of time? Who's got my back? This uh, college professor from Johns Hopkins is my leader? Don't think so. But if we ever had to explain, we're not in an offensive posture, but I think it's in America's best interest to prevent the next 9-11, the next coal bombing, the next embassy bombing, the next Orlando uh, uh, disco bombing, whatever it was, or sports bar or nightclub bombing, uh, we're going to have a posture there because the amount of intelligence we're able to get on these ISIS, on al-Qaeda, on uh, what is moving with the next emerging group, al-Shabaab or whatever, is too valuable to leave. Then we find out later that we had at least three CIA bases who have paramilitary, so they got firepower. They don't necessarily need a call to the Pentagon to say, I need some firepower. I, got a I, I have somebody in our crosshairs. We armed the CIA. So you go do that, almost set up like a Gitmo situation. You keep an eye on what's going on there. You provide into spirit the Taliban. Every time they move, we have a predator drone up top. We sit over in Bagram. We have a good idea what's happening. You know you get combat pay when you rotate into Bagram. But you also know, barring anything uh, unforeseen, which war brings, that you are in a spot in which you're not going to be going out on missions. I remember when Trump first took over, he dropped that Moab, mother of all bombs, because the ISIS was coming into Afghanistan. So he goes, where are they? Okay. What if I drop that bomb? Sure. Do it. They did it. Okay. Joe Dunford signed off on it. General Kelly thought it was a good move. That's what I thought we were going to be doing in Afghanistan. I never agreed. If you look at that six-page deal, which is readable, I thought originally it's probably going to be uh, translated poorly, a legal document. It's the simplest form ever. It's not a great deal, Ambassador Khalilzad cut. It's not. Uh, so Trump would not do uh, to defend it. It's problematic. But Trump would be better at adjusting on the fly and go, wait a second, they're moving on Kabul? That's not going to happen on my baseball card. There's no way they're going to do that. Uh, they violated the agreement. Let's hit them. Boom. Would have stopped him in his tracks. What do they need? He wouldn't have allowed a loss. I don't know if you've noticed, Will, but he's not much. He's not a good loser. You know, Brian, you're making a point that I don't think is one that is um, to be taken lightheartedly, and it's certainly not one that you drank the Kool-Aid nor I of saying nothing Trump does is wrong. Donald Trump was allergic to losing, to your point. How about this? Better said, he was allergic to the optics of losing even more than losing. And this has been a and I hate words like optic because it means that everything you deal with in life is somehow political instead of real. But this is awful optics, awful. I do not, I do not believe that Donald Trump would have accepted this kind of reputational risk. I don't think for him no personally, way. much less the United States of America, and I don't think it would have played out the way it has over the past month. You know, one thing I did find out that I've had verified, they told Bararder, who's the new leader of the Taliban who's taking over their that formal announcement hasn't taken place yet, they got him out of prison. That's one thing the Taliban wanted. Why? That's controversial. The new leader of the Taliban was in a Pakistani prison. So they get him out and they say, listen, 
You violate anything. I know exactly where you live. We know where to find you every minute of the day. You saw what we just did to Soleimani. That's, I've heard that from six ways to Sunday. And they only understand force. The one thing all of America went to Terror University for the last 20 years that paid attention. We know the only thing they understand is force and firepower. You can never negotiate. You bring up one other complicating factor, and I don't know how this impacts our decision of whether or not we should have stayed or whether or not we have a presence going forward. But Pakistan, an incredibly complex entity in this region, is clearly at play in everything going on. You know, 10 to 15,000 international terrorists making their way into Afghanistan. How are they doing that? Through Pakistan. These guys being released from prison in Pakistan. Having a regional presence when it comes to Pakistan and, oh, by the way, China – did have some strategic value that we no longer have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other thing is uh, the president speaking right now. He's dying to change the subject. He's going to Louisiana later on today to talk about uh, the hurricane that went through. Okay, you, maybe you're going to do that anyway. And now he's talking about the economy. Mm-hmm. His approval is at 43 percent. I'm surprised it's that high. But let me ask you, this is going to work to his advantage to not add 700,000 jobs and said you had 234,000. Now he's going to say, as you see, the economy sputtering. We are going to need more money. When exactly his solution is what's causing the sputtering. Right. Just listen to why people aren't going back to work because they don't have to. It's right. still the case. There's a still dis, a disincentive out there in the economy. There's, there's, there's supply. There is a supply of jobs out there. There are companies who need to hire people. So if the unemployment remains higher, hiring remains below expectations, why is that? And we're going to hit that cowbell with more cowbell. We're going to absolutely give more disincentive to try to solve disincentive. So I'm not going to play it again because I just played it with Joe Manchin. But people are down on Joe Manchin. doesn't follow through. He's already affected everything. They would have packed the court already. They would have got rid of the filibuster already. This would have been done if he just said, I'm a moderate who's quiet like the so-called other Democratic moderates. Kristen Sinema is a wild card. I can't quite figure her out. But she stood up. So is Joe Manchin. I'm not spending $3.5 trillion. Yeah. Do I think it's a negotiation tactic? Yeah. But he really does not want to spend $3.5 trillion. There's nobody else standing up to their party on the left. I asked this yesterday on the five of Jessica Tarlov. She mentioned the moderate left. I said, would you please help me understand who is the moderate left, especially when it comes to the media? Because I can't distinguish them from the radical left at this point. Maybe Joe Manchin is the answer to that question. But, you know, I, I, I know people are down on him. Every time I bring him up, uh, people blow up. But I go, he's already affected the dialogue. Well, look – I, I don't know who you're talking about gets upset when you bring him up. Well, on the five or anything else, any Republican says you can't count on Joe Manchin. Well, you can't count on Joe Manchin, but he's clearly going to fly in the ointment to the project. And that's what I brought up to you this morning on Fox and Friends. I think you should, we should need to be clear. This is part of the project. The on-track, on-track polling where 60% of the country says we're off track. Right. No, no, no. We're on track for their agenda and what they want to accomplish, whether or not that be COVID policies, international policy or now this domestic spending policy, this is all part of the plan. And, and I, I, I listen to Justin Trudeau, and I know he's Canadian. I know he's not an American politician. I know he's the prime minister of our neighboring country. But this ideology of re, re, reestablishing or reforming the relationship of you with the state is one that is international in its very nature. And Trudeau that, said yeah. the COVID crisis gave us the lessons that we will be applying to climate, to economies, to jobs, to everything. This but, is a project. And they're in on it. Uh, you know, I'm not even aware of the how strict they were during the COVID things. In Canada? In Canada. I, hadn't, I really wasn't familiar with it, but my daughter goes to school upstate, and they have a, a hockey team there, and a lot of them are failed minor league players from Canada. And they came to this small school, and they play very well, and they say, 
they kept saying, well, if I come back, I'm going to have to, if I go back home, I'm going to have to quarantine. I don't want to have to go back and forth. If I have to drive and I have cross, I, I go, wait a second, what's going on in Canada? What you? He goes, oh, yeah, everybody's basically locked down still. Mm-hmm. So this is a wide open space, lightly populated, I think 20 million people or whatever it is. What is going on there? You would think that they'd what's be What's going so on in like, Australia? And Australia, I know we the brutal crackdown. Did you see the newest thing in Australia where they're going to have this facial recognition stuff? No. You so in southern Australia, so whatever province that is, you have to have an app, government mandated app on your phone, and on this app, it will send you an alert. And if you get the alert, you have to upload a picture of yourself in your geotagged surroundings within 15 minutes, so that they can know. You know they have a they have a five kilometer radius that you can't leave from your home, so they can know where you are to see if you've broken containment. So you have to be able to check in within 15 minutes with your government as to your physical status and where you are. All right. We're going to find out if Will needs to know more in just a moment. Pete, are you ready for that or no? Oh, yes. Leave it. This is it for Pete, uh, for Will. Uh, what do you, what, I have to go. Is it a money thing? Did he want to get paid for two segments? Is this the same thing as happened with other guests? Is he talking to you on air? Yeah, well. Because uh, I can't hear. It turns out. I'm sorry. I thought everybody was listening. Uh, Will, it turns out you cannot stay. I have to go to Faulkner. What's the game? Harris Faulkner. Yeah, the right. Faulkner focus. Okay, the Faulkner focus. It's not unfocused. It's right. focused. All right, good. All right, so Pete, uh, so Will, this is it you for just us. call me Pete. Yeah. Are you talking to him is or did you call me Hegseth? Is there a difference? Well, 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 oh. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, what you, was that? Was that right. a Hegsethian uh, slip of the tongue or I'm, was that to him? Well, what I was trying to say is I want to find out if Will wants to know more, and they said he's out at 50, which is now. What's, what do you mean, do I want to know more? Is that a game you play? Well, I, what I do is I get off the three main topics, and I give you the other topics, and we run through them together. Oh, yeah, I've seen that kind of stuff. Like, would you watch this on TV? You give me the pitch of the show, and I go, I'm in or I'm out. Well, I like to think my idea was a little bit more unique than that. Yeah. I don't, I, I'd rather you not take There's my no unique idea and, no defend it, <laughs> and defend it's front of the mill. Oh, the same old thing? I'd love to do the same old thing. Will Kane <laughs> will be on with Harris Faulkner because he chose to be on it with Harris Faulkner because she's focused. Thanks, Will. We'll Correct. watch you over the weekend. Anybody you want a promo? Would you say our last 30 or 20 minutes together was focused? Not really. <laughs> right? Which, which makes cold radio. Go to the Will Kane podcast at Fox News Podcast. By the way, I have an interview with Corey Mills, who is in Afghanistan, or he's in a neighboring country now where he's been running private ops to get people out of Kabul. Yeah. That's great. Fascinating stories. Would you also have some other guests? I also have me. You know how I do that. I talk for a long time. Ah. Hey, you know what I talk about? And I'm dead serious, and I'm in on this. The pseudo-reality. They're creating a pseudo-reality, Brian, and I'm dead serious, where our COVID fears are overhyped. Um, we're being taught, for example, false stats on how many black men are being killed by police. Every single thing. We're being taught that Afghanistan is a success. Everything is not a reality. Then the only left question left is why. Why are you being sold a fake reality? And if you keep defining it, they won't be, they won't be able to get away with it. So you keep up on this. We'll start King. at least. All right. Back in a moment. You'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We are committing national suicide on the world stage, right in front of everybody's eyes. And the most incredible part is that Osama bin Laden predicted all of this. In 1993, he said that the U.S. was weak in its will to fight that it would lose the commitment and its its politicians would be the ones that led us down the road to defeat. And by politicians, he included in that the the generals who are politically appointed and trained once they get to a certain level. 
Larry Logan, uh, from his years at CBS, did countless interviews for 60 Minutes, and now she's doing them here with the specials that she's running on Fox Nation. And she's been all over the channel because nobody knows the players like she knows the players. And she's horrified because she's an American about what has taken place this week. This week more than any other. Great to have Will Kane uh, here earlier. But I'm not sure. uh, I wouldn't give modest aid to the new Masood group, the new Northern Alliance, so to speak. But I, I wouldn't put all my eggs there. I would do it because it, it really aggravates the Taliban. they got to put resources up there. But they're going to have to go run a country. My hope is that the American people will not tolerate them recognizing the Taliban as a legitimate government. And we will continue to put pressure on the IMF and the World Bank and everything else to make sure they don't get the loans. And if uh, China wants to go in there... With uh, guns ablazing, good luck. They don't fight these wars. They're going to look economically to uh, pay the warlords and then go in there and strip the rare earth, something that they were not going to do when we were there. Just real quick, I want you to hear the uh, Jen Psaki yesterday get grilled by an Australian reporter. Cut to. The Taliban spokesman's told an Australian news network that the 41 Australians who died in the war in Afghanistan died in vain. During this time, the Australian government found out about the withdrawal date change through media reporting. We weren't included on the list from Secretary of State Antony Blinken of countries called on the final day, August 31. Does the Taliban have a point? I'm not sure I understand your question. We have sacrificed a lot for this alliance, and including the lives of 41 Australians, and we've been left uh, seemingly out of the loop during this withdrawal process. There hasn't been high-level communication with the Australian government during this time. I don't think that's true. I don't think that we have not engaged with the Australian government. I would say, and the president would say if he were standing here, those 41 Australians did not die in vain. And we are incredibly grateful for their partnership. Yes, of course they didn't die in vain, but we don't need the president to say that. They came to our side and they fight. I guess people wanted them to be more active and wanted the French to be more active and the British to be more active. Uh, that's something for the, for the generals to work out, whether it's General Petraeus or General Miller or anybody else. But they went out there, and they spent money, and we took the lead, but we were the ones that were attacked. And they know they were susceptible as well if they didn't fight the fight. But all you had to do was communicate. All you had to do was show respect. All you had to do is not only communicate, but listen to their insight. And maybe you would have got more of a commitment for them on the exit as we dismounted from that nation. That is the story of this week leading into Labor Day. And I'm sure it will be the story at your barbecue and your beach because it matters to American pride one week. From 9-11. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Shannon Bream is going to be hosting her show tonight. She's been doing everything. I saw her on Gutfeld last night. Man, has she been busy. Shannon Bream closing out the summer strong. She's Fox's chief legal analyst. We'll talk about, too, this Texas uh, abortion law uh, that got up, uh, that the court denied the request to stop the six-week abortion ban, and people are going crazy. John Roberts voted with the liberals on this. We'll talk about that, dip into her legal background as well. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I just want to say we, we are looking at the results of climate change. And then, of course, add to that the fact that this is all part of this. Uh, scientists tell us climate change. You're going to hear a lot about climate change in the hours to come. And we should, because this is a climate change story. 
Yes, flash floods and hurricanes can only mean one thing. Too much and too many combustion engines. Too much coal. And Joe Manchin is to blame, according to the AOC. That's the wacky left, and that's what they're saying about the latest hurricane. They don't see this as a way to help people. They see it as a way to pass a green agenda. Number two. Hit the pause button. Let's sit back. Let's see what happens. We've got so much on our plate. We really have an awful lot. That's, I, I think that would be the prudent, wise thing to do. <laughs> I agree, Joe. Say it so, Joe. With unemployment dropping and the economy growing, one sober Democrat said stop spending. Joe Manchin is not on board with the unthinkable $4 trillion spending palooza of Pelosi. All it takes is one damn defection and it dies. Kill it, Joe. Number one. The Taliban spokesman told an Australian news network that the 41 Australians who died in the war in Afghanistan died in vain. Uh, during this time, the Australian government found out about the withdrawal date change through media reporting. We weren't included on the list from Secretary of State Antony Blinken of countries called on the final day, August 31. Does the Taliban have a point? Yes, they have a point. That's an Australian reporter, stranded and afraid. This after the State Department admitted most of the SIVs didn't get out of Afghanistan along with an uncertain amount of American citizens. We are not alone. Communication was so bad amongst our allies, as you just heard. Australia says they found out about the change of withdrawal date through the media. Unacceptable, but not rare. Also, I find out as I welcome in Shannon Bream, Canada left 1,250 Canadian citizens there. They urged the U.S. to delay the the uh, evacuation. Germany, 10 to 40,000 staffers, locals, and Germans, as well as uh, the French, wanted to extend the deadline. As did many uh, among the military brass, but not Joe Biden. Shannon Bream, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. So the international fallout almost gives cover to people who want to say this is a partisan effort to hurt Joe Biden, who now has 43 percent approval rating, uh, and he lost six points in one month. This is not this is as close to nonpartisan as we've seen in the last few years. Don't you think, Shannon? Yeah, because I you think about just even on Capitol Hill, where everything, everything is divisive. But you've got veterans who are Republicans and Democrats. I mean, Democrats who have served over there. And so they know the enormous cost of what has already been spent. And they know the position that our military men and women and our American citizens and the interpreters and people who helped us, they know the position these people are in. So it seems like there has been a lot of outrage across the political spectrum. And I hope that means that there'll be some hearings that will get some answers, um, because I think the American people, obviously, when you see 13 young people lose their lives in the midst of this, um, they're demanding answers and transparency. Yeah. uh, And it looks like he went and visited, went to Walter Reed yesterday. And he went there at night, mm-hmm. didn't really tell anyone. But I think that not, a lot of people, have, a couple of people wrote, wrote me and reminded me that people are wounded. One's in critical condition. Uh, some are in, in serious condition because there were 20 wounded along with the 13 that were killed. One is just hanging on for their lives. This could get worse, Shannon. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. And listen, I want to give credit to the president for going out there because if you've heard presidents talk about this, um, you know that it is one of the most excruciating things they do. They know that oftentimes people are there in Walter Reed clinging to life or severely, severely injured because of decisions they've made as commander in chief. Um, And in one of Dana's amazing books, um, I'm trying to remember which one, she talks about um, President Bush and how he went out there and visited and, and family lit into him. And, you know, he took it sort of like, listen, I'm the commander in chief. I'm, you know, heartbroken, too. And you're right to be mad at me. I mean, kind of his his thought after the visit was, 
yeah, I'm the commander in chief and, and I bear the responsibility for these young people. So, yeah, unfortunately, this could get worse. Um, but I think already there's been so much damage. Um, you know, I hear, as you probably have, and so many of us are hearing from people there who are special operators or former vets, they're trying to get people out they worked with, or even American citizens. They tell me, as of yesterday, one of them, it is they are so demoralized and they're doing everything they can, and they have to use partnership on the ground to help them get people out. And, you know, even their partners are very wary of them now, and why shouldn't they be? Yeah, I mean, anywhere we go. So we, they say that, you know, in Somalia, you know, we have all these things going after al-Shabaab uh, all through Africa. Why would anyone say my translator should feel pretty good that the Americans aren't mm-hmm. going to leave me in a lurch? They already know my name. The other story that's really going to get traction next week, and they're going to try to lay people who are concerned as racist, xenophobic, um, and it is the the vetting of the refugees. Mm-hmm. Here's what Stephen Miller said last night about what's coming here. Now, I'm going to give you a calculus. The State Department said yesterday most of our SIVs didn't get out. Excuse me? We had over 100,000 people. 20,000 are coming to our shores, and most of the SIVs didn't get out? A lot of the translators needed translators, which made me think they weren't translators. Cut 18. I think a very important point, Tammy, and it brings me no pleasure to say this. The truth is the truth, and sometimes it hurts. Just because you don't like the Taliban doesn't mean that you embrace fully everything we have here in America. We have to be very cautious here, because the reality is, if you've lived your whole life in Afghanistan, you may not have the same views that we do about women's equality, about pluralism, about an independent judiciary, about jury trials, about free expression, about tolerance, about nonviolence. And so, if you have this open-ended resettlement program, for years and years and years, the State Department would like to continue it. What will that do? How will that change the quality of life that we know and love in America? 23,876 Afghans came to the U.S. since the Kabul airlift began. And the administration has previously declined to provide any data as to how many of the roughly 123,000 people evacuated from Afghanistan had traveled to the U.S. So, again, we never get hard numbers. We don't have hard numbers of who's left and who's coming. Why are we to think that there's not an al-Qaeda ISIS person nested in this group? That's what they do. Yeah, and listen, they're smart because um, they know that the American people are very generous and charitable and welcoming. We've already seen this in the communities where a lot of these folks have shown up. But um, there is another side to that. You have to be careful. We want to welcome innocent people who are fleeing certain death and persecution for sure. Um, but I have uh, talked with a pilot who is a former military guy, uh, flew commercial for a very big airline, was in one of these lifts uh, a few days ago, and said, you know, he and his um, co-pilot and crew were, I think they're most of them, if not all of them, former military. They were happy to do this flight and, and believing that they were doing something that was a huge humanitarian lift to get these people out. But he said that we were told that these were interpreters and different people, but many of them did not speak English at all. There were children. There were a mix of people. He said they were given no passenger manifest. And when they landed at Dulles, you know, the big international airport just outside D.C., they sat on the tarmac for six hours wow. while the State Department tried to vet these people, give them no information. He said at one point they came on and, and brought out a list of people of interest that they wanted off the plane first. And you've got babies and people who haven't eaten, haven't had, you know, he said the airline was um, quick to provide food and water, and the State Department allowed that to come on. But he said, you know, I, at the end of this, my cohorts and I on the on the crew started thinking, we thought we were doing this amazing humanitarian thing, and now in the pit of my stomach, I'm like, 
have I brought back somebody who would do harm to this country? And there's no way for him to know as part of that mission. Think about the 19 hijackers and what they would what they did. I mean, if all they had to do was mix in, you know what happened in France? Uh, two uh, who mm-hmm. are wanted uh, arrived in that country. They were immediately arrested. And then you had a couple at least arrive in Britain on the no-fly list. So you could be as vigilant as you want, let alone the fact that we're not really clear on what the actual screening process is. So uh, I got to bring you to what's happening in Texas. You have such a background on this, and and I know uh, being pro-life means so much to you. Now this Texas, tell us what's going on in Texas and why the Supreme Court's 5-4 decision has many thinking Roe v. Wade is done. Well, I, can I say, I do think it's hyperbole by the left uh, to say that Roe v. Wade is done because of this particular decision. Not to say the court's not going to take that um, question in the future, um, and maybe the very near future, but this was very much a procedural case. The thing that um, is so unique about this Texas law is that it allows average citizens, it's not the state enforcing it, to go out and essentially it's a heartbeat law or basically after six weeks, um, abortions are illegal, uh, most of them. So it allows private citizens to go after an abortion provider or somebody who facilitates getting somebody to an abortion and helping them with that. And they can sue that individual for monetary damages. It's super weird and unique in the, in the you know, canon of abortion laws out there. Um, so clearly it was something that was going to be challenged right away. Um, so what the court did the other night is you know, the underlying case is ongoing. The abortion providers had come to the court and said, we need you to block this Texas law. They kind of dragged their feet in doing it, but by the time they got there, you know, the law was going into effect within like 48 hours. And what the court said is at this stage – we can't get involved procedurally because there are questions about standing and all these kind of wonky technical things. But what it's being portrayed at as is, yeah, a, a bite at Roe v. Wade. They didn't get to the substance. They said that we're not getting to the substance of this. The lower court cases can continue to roll out and play out, and they will. But, um, you know, it, it makes the left very frightened that there would be a 5-4 decision to strike down Roe. But that question's not before the court right now. They do have this big Mississippi abortion case this fall they're going to hear. That one's um, most abortions after 15 weeks are considered illegal in Mississippi. So they're going to have a bite at this question for sure, but it's not yet to the level of overturning Roe. Because this is so unique and maybe some say extreme, people who are pro-life say this is not a good fight. In the Wall Street Journal, that was the editorial, lead editorial Mm -hmm. about Texas abortion law blunder. Uh, Do you see the point there in terms of a strategy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so many states in the last couple of years have purposely passed things that they've said openly are about making a run at Roe v. Wade. Either the governors or the state lawmakers who were involved with it said, yeah, the way we've crafted this law is to get to the Supreme Court, hopefully, and get to answer that question again and revisit Roe. This, you know, the one in Texas, like I said, is so strange to people, whether they're pro-life or pro-choice. They look at this and say, so basically you've made everybody in Texas the attorney general or a prosecutor. If they can go after people, they don't have to have any connection to them at all. You hear of somebody who's had an abortion after six weeks. Um, You can be the plaintiff in this case or go after them. So it's a really strange setup. And I think, yeah, there are probably a lot of people within the pro-life community who think, yeah, this is not the one that they want to get to uh, the high court on on the question of Roe v. Wade. But it's certainly in the mix, and there are other states who are considering doing something very similar to what Texas has done. Because when you hear a heartbeat, they say that that, uh, the fetus is an infant and cannot be terminated. Uh, So Mm -hmm. so this this has been a raging debate in our country, and it's reignited. In the big picture, Shannon, people say, well, this is a reason, and AOC said it. That's why we got to pack the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court. 
Exactly. And get rid of the filibuster. So there are two big whammies that uh, Democrats would like to go after. I mean, they've already introduced the legislation to do it. So, um, again, you got to look at people mm-hmm. like Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema. Are they going to get on board with that? It's a big no. I mean, Speaker Pelosi has said she doesn't even want to take up the bill in the House. But clearly, the far left wing of the party is going to pressure them over things like this to go ahead and just add a few more justices on. And remember, the president's got that SCOTUS commission out there studying whether they're going to advise him that there should be term limits or adding people and all kinds of things. I want you to hear this exchange of everyone to hear this exchange and get your analysis of what happened at the White House yesterday on this Texas law. Why does the president support abortion when his own Catholic faith teaches abortion is morally wrong? Well... He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. Why does the president, who does he believe then should look out for the unborn child? He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant, but for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. The president believes their rights should be respected. Go ahead. I think we got to move on. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, and just a minute ago, the president was asked about this when he was given the remarks on the economy. Um, it was the one question that they kind of snuck in before he had to take off, and he said um, that he has been a firm supporter of Roe v. Wade. He also said, I respect people on all sides of this conversation, those who believe that life begins at conception. And if I'm, I'm right, I, he said, I don't believe that, which is interesting because we know he's devoted to his Catholic faith and that he is often in church, and I've um, talked with the first lady about that and what enormous comfort she says they draw from their faith. Um, but clearly he's not lined up with church doctrine on some of these things. So I do think it's fair for people to ask the question uh, about where he is on this. Um, but he said uh, he's asked the Justice Department to look into uh, what they, they could possibly do with respect to this Texas law. So it's clear um, he is a big opponent of it. He called it outrageous. And, uh, it, you know, it, the Catholic faith for him, um, only he can work that in, in his heart. It's between him and God. But, um, you know, there are a lot of leaders within the church who, who have serious questions about parishioners who are, are actively supporting things um, that are pro-choice in nature, but also um, seem very devoted to their faith. We look forward to seeing your show tonight. Jenna, are you doing any other appearances? I'll see you on the five. All right. I, I'm, I'm going to watch you on the five. I am not on it. I know. Well, you still have to I'm do quitting. it. No, you can't quit. You have to do it for America. I'll represent for you. Thank okay. you. Shannon uh, Bream, thanks so much. We'll watch the Fox News at night and, of course, on The Five. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back with your calls at one 408 Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But you know, it's time that we deep, be deep, deeply mindful of a world beyond our borders. Even as we did what was necessary and right to end 20 years of war in Afghanistan, and we mourn all those who we lost, including 13 brave service members who were killed alongside so many other innocents. And in spite of welcoming the stranger, we now embark on the next phase We have to integrate these newcomers and help them begin to renew and rebuild their their own lives. And this new year, we're going to have to remain steadfast in our pursuit of peace. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, We'll have to remain steadfast. Does that mean we've got to digest another 100,000 people? Are they all interpreters that helped us in war? When we find out that most of 
Uh, the SIPs, the ones that we wanted to bring back, are still there, according to the State Department. We just, we're getting 30000 this week. And then another 30000 We brought 120000 I mean, what are we doing? So I, I think that as much as I want to reward people that have been loyal to us, and I think they're going to be great Americans if they would already put their lives and families' lives on the line for us, I, I want to make sure we're, they're the right guys. We're not just telling people from Afghanistan, how would you like to live here? We have some room. We really don't because it costs a lot of money. I mean, the numbers they have of $250,000 to get somebody integrated into our society and for everybody else doing it the right way, going from a student to a green card holder, uh, to going through the process of taking tests and courses uh, and going through the background checks to do it. So a lot of you are writing me. Rodney writes uh, this. What if the withdrawal was staged to be like the Cuban people in the U.S.? They're not allowed as they might uh, vote Republican, just as the Afghanistan people that work for the U.S. might vote. The State Department allowed other de- uh, Afghanis people in because they would be more likely to vote Democrat if they thought the Democrats allowed them in. That might be why they left for so years. Yeah, this could be politics. I actually think it's so rushed we couldn't possibly. What bothers me most, we can't possibly know who's coming in. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's not equal blame, and there's not both sides on anything close to this issue, which actually both sides stuff has hurt us in getting anything done. There is one side that has listened to science and one side that hasn't. We're about to have more deaths in a year in the globe because of climate change than all of world, all of the world wars in the last hundred years combined. But fundamentally, the problem is Republicans don't believe in the common good and they discount science. And when you don't believe in the common good and you discount science, we end up here doing nothing about climate change in, in our time. Matthew Dowd dying for, I guess, another job because he does no longer on ABC. It's a Republican during the Bush years who I guess feels bad about the Iraq war, so now wants to be a Democrat. So he comes up and says some ridiculous thing, the same old zero-sum game. If something happens that's bad weather-wise, it's called Earth. If something happens bad now, we caused it. We caused the hurricane. We caused it to be hot. We caused it to be cold. We caused it to be windy. All because we're so selfish, and the U.S. has to be to blame. And then we got to put ridiculous incentives to the evil empires in this world of China and Russia to exist. So we saw the we saw that storm hit Louisiana. Storms always hit Louisiana, and worked his way up and flood this area in flash flooding. We had a mayor that decided he wanted to talk about vaccines instead of preparing, and now it's all because of climate change. Aren't we smarter than that at this point? AOC suggests which the answer is no, in a tweet, in an op, uh, replying to Joe Manchin's op-ed and then, of course, seeing this climate change. Manchin has weekly huddles with Exxon and is one of the many senators who gives lobbyists their pen to write the so-called bipartisan fossil fuel bills. It's killing people. Our people at least... 12 last night, sick of the bipartisan corruption that masquerades as clear-eyed moderation. So climate change killed people in Queens. Why don't you find out if people are leaving, living illegally in apartments in Queens basements that leave them susceptible to fires and floods? That might be a good start. 
Meanwhile, in terms of pushback, Michael Schnellenberger, he wrote the book Apocalypse Never. He was on with Tucker last night, Cut 27. The irony is that Democrats are pushing for a huge investment in making our electricity even more dependent on the weather. So while the Democrats are talking a lot about extreme weather events, they're pushing for greater dependence on weather-dependent energy sources like solar panels manufactured in China, wind turbines, which depend on the wind. Those things we have seen make grids more vulnerable in California, in Texas, because when you invest, put big money into those technologies, they just sit on top of the infrastructure that we have. They don't provide yeah. any additional resilience, and we end up underinvesting in the kind of weatherization uh, the weatherization that we need in order to survive these extreme weather events. So that is apocalypse never, the, the reality on the ground. There are certain things we should do to be responsible. They have to be cost effective. they got to be incentivized. But the solyndras of the world, the force make projects do not work. One of the other people that weighed in is Clay Travis. He was on with Sean last night. Cut 26. This is a clear attempt to change the narrative. Do you want to talk Afghanistan if you're the Biden White House? Do you want to talk the border? Do you want to talk all of the chaos associated with COVID and their failures there? Do you want to talk about the murder rate that is skyrocketing all over this country? Do you want to talk about inflation? Everything that the Biden administration touches, Sean, is turning into a disaster. And so they have to take advantage of any subtle narrative arc that they can to try and make the American public forget that Joe Biden has had the most disastrous eight-month tenure as president of the United States in most of living memory out there. Yeah, it is. It's so true, too. And I think what's actually uh, allowed people to understand that we're fed up with him. We thought he's not going to hurt anything. He just hurt stuff. We thought he's not going to hurt the economy because the economy is going to come back anyway. He's spending to oblivion. And now he's going to just he's going to uh, lard up this new three point five trillion with a bunch of green projects. Uh, and, you know, before we go, so you got Matt Dowd, who's ways in. I told you about AOC and where she stands. I want you to bring you to uh, a montage. Uh, this is a look at what newscasters who are suddenly climatologists are saying. Cut 23. I just want to say we, we are looking at the results of climate change. And then, of course, add to that the fact that this is all part of this. Uh, scientists tell us climate change. You're going to hear a lot about climate change in the hours to come. And we should because this is a climate change story. Yeah. Of course, Brian Stelter, the media expert, we should. Every time it's a little hot or a little cold, I'm sure if we go back in time, it never happened. Ever. And again, the same thing, reason why you get insulted when you watch Joe Biden speak and he's screaming at you, telling you how successful it was. He makes you question, Try he wants you to question your own logic. We won't. Quick announcement before I talk a little bit about this new variant that Anthony Fauci can't wait to get a hold of. I want you to go to BrianKillMe.com. I have this book coming out. I'm excited about it. I start the audio book next week, actually. It's called The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. I really think it's probably the most important book I ever wrote. I think it's a project you will love, you'll dig into, and it's readable. Charleston, West Virginia, I'll be there November 7th. Not just talking about the book, but I'll be talking about all the history books, love of America, and where we go from here. It's called Winning the War on History. So I'll be in Charleston November 7th in West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia. I've not been there. I look forward to it. Uh, on, November, uh, on November 21st, I'll be in Orlando, Florida. That's a Sunday. On Ponte Vedra, Florida, I'll go home. I'll hopefully be back in time for work. Ponte Vedra, Florida, love that place. On Friday, December 3rd, I'll be there. Um, and then in Clearwater, Florida, December 4th, 
that'll be Saturday. So I'm going to be like in, temporarily in a rock band. So I'll go from December 3rd to December 4th. It'll be Saturday. And then we'll take a break. I'll come back to New York. Asbury Park, New Jersey will be in May. We're all set with Dana Perino. Do a great event. We had to postpone it because of the pandemic. Speaking of the pandemic, let's talk about the coronavirus and the mass mania that's taking place. They do this study and they say mass work, mass work. And I say, let me just see what this study is. Stanford Medicine, Yale University say mass work. Let me see what it's about. These researchers went to Bangladesh and got their cross-section. And they figured out they went to 600 villages. Let me ask them. Shouldn't you get a society called America or the U.K. or Israel to be more like us, to understand they live like us in a way that some of their operations and this test study might apply to us? They had 350,000 people, 600 villages in rural Bangladesh, those living in villages and randomly assigned a number of interventions to promote the use of masks. In the end, they found people were 12 percent less likely to get the virus. I don't even believe this study. The headline is totally deceptive that masks work. And then you give these people a piece of cloth and surgical masks, and we're supposed to believe that it's effective. It hasn't stopped the war on masks from the governors to the cities to the schools. This governor in New York immediately said the first thing that Kathy Hochul said is mass mandate for everyone. Well, locally, Board of Educations have voted differently, and they were going to handle it differently. They don't want it from on high. The governor of Florida gets pushed back from Broward County. It is a war. And now the big war is about vaccines. Everyone's got to get a vaccine if you want to travel. Really? Now we got to get a booster shot. Really? Since when? Well, if you look at some of the numbers, clearly this variant is dipping, and that's great news. I thought, but not for Anthony Fauci. He's already get set for another variant, which he's clueless about. But this is how Anthony Fauci answers a question when he's clueless. He filibusters. Cut 28. We certainly are aware of the mu variant. We're keeping a very close eye on it. It is really seen here, but it is not at all even close to being dominant. We take it very seriously. But remember, even when you have variants that do diminish somewhat the efficacy of a vaccines, the vaccines still are quite effective against variants of that type. Bottom line, we're paying attention to it. We take everything like that seriously but we don't consider it an immediate threat right now. Now, and you know this because you ever see an oral report in school when the kid forgets to prepare. If you cared, if you knew about this variant, you make a speech like, guys, there's another variant coming. Here's what it looks like. Here's the challenge. Here's what I'm noticing. It's in X country, and, and the result has been Y. Instead, we're looking at it. We're examining it. Uh, we're not too worried about it yet. The same guy that told John Casamitidis, this is not going to be a worry here. The COVID-19 virus, I think he was wrong. Then he told us not to wear a mask, a full sense of security. I believe it was wrong. Then he told us to wipe down everything, and we got to wipe down our groceries before we bring them into the house. That was flat out wrong. Then he told us we can spread it outside. That turned out flat out wrong. So what are we supposed to believe? This guy still gets booked everywhere except a couple of shows on Fox because he is a dial tone. We don't believe him. Sports leagues also wrestling with this. Here's what Carson Wentz, supposed to be starting quarterback with the Indianapolis Colts, coming off another injury. Here's what he said about why he's not getting vaccinated. Cut 32. There's consequences with not being vaccinated. We talked about this the last time. You know, do I think everybody should be vaccinated? Absolutely, I do. I am for the vaccine. Frank is for the vaccine. We have a lot of guys on our team that are for the vaccine. But for the guys who have chosen to not get vaccinated, they understand that they ha- they're still part of this team. It's their decision, but they're still part of our team. 
and they have to take care of the team. They have to protect the team. We've talked a lot about that. They've got to do everything they can to protect the team. Okay, I don't think that's Carson Wentz, but he's talking about his team and what do you do? And they got extreme testing and you got to be isolated if you don't get the vaccine. I understand from the business perspective, I do. I'm not I'm not oblivious to that, but I think we're at the point now where you have to look at the slippery slope. Now it's this vaccine, this pandemic. How many more medical things are we going to be forced to do before we put up our hand and say, excuse me, I can make my own decisions? Now, the restaurants, I went into two restaurants in New York City. They said, even though it's not official to September 14th, we can't serve you unless you have the vaccine card. They arrested somebody, put them in jail for fake vaccine cards. You basically can do a carjacking, get caught and get out the same day. But if you make up a vaccine card, that's jailable. I think we're really off kilter here, and we're not the only country. I think we got to get a hold of this. I think that if you wanted to be effective in explaining this virus, if you want to be effective in explaining this virus, I would take some time to explain the mRNA technology and explain not only is this going to benefit in the long run, what scientists are doing, they wanted to attack cancer. They want to see what cancer you have, design an mRNA vaccine, and shoot it in and have your own body take it out. I mean, that's what's explained to me. It's extremely exciting technology. This is just the beginning. But if you explain it to somebody in a calm, cool way and don't say at the end of this lecture you're getting a shot, I think people would understand it. Because right away when you tell people the flu virus, it's like the flu virus, well, that's Johnson & Johnson or this new COVAX that's coming out. All right. But then you say, well, the mRNA and we rushed it through. We got it done in nine months instead of 12 months. doesn't have an official passage. And then I question it, and then you question my sanity and you try to ridicule me. I got some pride. I got some knowledge. I think that I'm going to go right back at you and not be and not be so-called intimidated into taking a vaccine. We all have dug in. It's time to regroup. That's a shame. So go to BrianKillMe.com. Do it. Uh, a lot of people just did. You can order any of my history books, The War in History. You've got Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, Thomas Jefferson, The Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, The Miracle of New Orleans, and the first and most successful, George Washington's Secret Six. If you want to pre-order, and I hope you do, The President and the Freedom Fighter, you got Lincoln, a real picture on top. We found one exact same age with Frederick Douglass right on the bottom. And the war scene that played out. It's not just about the Civil War. It's what both men did leading up to that. The two most unlikely success stories in American history. Obviously, Douglas had more to overcome. But in the end, they both would play such a role in America becoming a much more, much better place than the superpower it is today. Never perfect, but what's great about us, we always try to be. When we come back, we'll find out there's more to know. Best is three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. According to newly released emails, President Biden's dog, Major, was much more aggressive than the White House previously acknowledged. At one point in the spring, Major bit Secret Service members eight days in a row. The report said Major is, quote, not always predictable, which is a weird thing to say about a dog who just bit someone eight days in a row. That is so funny. Let's find out if there's even more to know. 
More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, here we go. Tim Tebow back at it again. He's a really good broadcaster, puts a lot of work into college football. Now he's going to be doing something on Fridays. He's going to be joining Stephen A. Smith at the age of 34 on First Take every Friday of one of Max Kellerman's replacements. I should have asked Will about this because we'll work with Will Kane worked with Stephen A. Smith for a while. So Max Kellerman is now out. Tebow on Friday. How do you think that'll go? I think it'll be great. It's a great dynamic. And I think you're not going to, I think Stephen A. Smith has a respect for Tim Tebow. Not necessarily maybe the biggest fan of his playing ability, but he, I think he respects him. I hope person. so, because so many people take shots at this guy just for trying things. They, I mean, there was no glory in being a double-A minor league player. He just wanted to try. But they took shots at him even when he made that commercial where he tackles his mom and that it was a pro-life commercial but because he tackled his mom. He had Joy Behar, if you remember, saying, oh, it was violence against women. Like, no, he was playfully having fun with his mother. I missed that whole thing, but I'm always going to be educated. Next, the Tree of Life Synagogue disputes that President Biden's claim that he visited after the massacre. Remember what happened when the, they went into the synagogue in Pittsburgh after the October 28th and ended up putting, putting killing 11 people in a mass murder? Listen to what Joe Biden claims. I used to think that uh, hate could be defeated. It could be wiped out. But I learned a long time ago, it can't. It only hides. It hides. It hides under the rocks. And given any oxygen at all, it comes out. It's a minority view, but it comes out, and it comes out raging. And it's been given too much oxygen in the last four, five, seven, ten years. And it has seen itself, whether it was, I remember spending time going to uh, the, uh, you know, the Tree of Life synagogue, speaking with the man. It just is amazing these things are happening. So what is he even saying? He's evidently in a 16-minute virtual address at the, uh, the, heading into the Jewish holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. He was addressing a Jewish audience with Jewish officials. Well, it turns out we know, remember the Tree of Life massacre in Pittsburgh. We said that it was Trump. They were starting to indicate it was Trump's tone that caused it. What a joke that was. It never should have stuck, but it really did affect the midterms. But Barb Fage, an executive director of the Tree of Life, said that Joe Biden did not visit the synagogue in the nearly three years since the anti-Semitic attack. He's flat out lying again. He lied but, about Mandela. He lied about he lied about being at the shooting in. Um, uh, do you remember the shooting in Florida a few years ago? Uh, this guy's constantly making stuff up. Well, he he he's maybe misremembering, Brian. Apparently, he was referring to a phone call he had with the Tree of Life Synagogue. So they're trying to spin that out. He says, "I remember visiting." I, I, I spending time at the yeah. No, I agree with you. It's 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 a stretch. Next, President Biden gets a little um, confused again, talking about something he says means so much to him. I remember Steve Martin uh, says, "There's a creed I go by every single day. Not a day goes by when I don't think about it." And he starts off and he says, "Always." I'm sorry. I mean, never. That was the joke. Uh, here's Joe Biden. My mind's going blank now. What's the song? That is played where everybody is on the chair, everybody, uh, you know, what, what, I can't remember it anyway. And that's the song that was played. So, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on here. I... Ha! <laughs> the so, song where you're on a chair? I mean. <laughs> I guess he is. Well, I don't know. I get probably, Why bring it up if you don't remember anything about it? Because he's pandering. 
Yeah. That's why. President Biden appeared to get confused Thursday when he was calling his daughter's wedding during a virtual event to celebrate the start of the Jewish holidays. It was a 2012 wedding. Ugh. I'm sure the Jewish people were thrilled with this little dialogue. Happy Rosh Hashanah. Fantastic. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.